One of the biggest concerns for leaders in community-focused organisations is the well-being of their staff. From the Top 5 Movement, this is a leading generous teams podcast, and I'm Claire Desira. As the founder of the Top 5 Movement, I've worked with thousands of leaders and their teams across 40 countries. And while I've seen how exciting it is to lead teams, it can also be extremely challenging, let alone right now. The pandemic has had a seismic impact on community-focused organisations and it's taking its toll on the people working within them. So this show is dedicated to you, generous leaders who recognise that the resilience, mindset and mental health of your teams has never been more important. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. And if you're ready to start building your team's resilience or to help them reset, refuel and recharge, head on over to top5movement.com and see what we have to offer. Let's get into it. Welcome to another episode of Leading Generous Teams. Our guest today is the wonderful Tanya Armstrong. Tanya is the General Manager over at Launch Housing, a community organisation that is passionately committed to ending homelessness. Launch provide high quality housing and an innovative range of support, education and employment services. They bring together solutions to homelessness under one roof for thousands of people who are at risk of or are currently experiencing the crisis and trauma of homelessness. Tanya cares fiercely and deeply about the fair treatment for people who face disadvantage and for almost a couple of decades she's held leadership positions in the community housing and homelessness sectors. I can't wait to introduce you to Tanya. Tanya, so wonderful to have you here. Thanks, Claire. Thanks for being here. Now, I'm really keen to understand more about your experience, huge amount of experience in this area of of homelessness and, and social and community justice. And right now in your role at Launch, you've been right in the thick of it. And I know Launch is really passionately committed to ending homelessness. And so I'm just curious about the impact of the pandemic in the last couple of years on your day-to-day leadership. Yeah, well, it's been huge in our sector, you know, for the first time in a long time, people experiencing homelessness were actually prioritised for services because it was seen that their health and safety was really intimately connected to everybody's health and safety in the community. And for those people that didn't have a home and who were rough sleeping or couch surfing or sleeping in their car, it all of a sudden became a real priority to make sure that they had somewhere to isolate or to stay so that that reduced community transmission, particularly in the lockdown. So there were lots of silver linings for us in COVID in that we had hotels to accommodate people in for the first time and that really significantly changed the work that we do the focus on our on people who were particularly at that really pointy end of homelessness so absolutely nowhere to go on any given night and so what it meant from a leadership perspective in the sector was that all leaders were kind of focused on the same thing so there was this fantastic collaboration in the sector And we were all working together on the same goal for probably the first time ever. And so that was, that was really great from a kind of an external perspective. But internally, it was made much more challenging because, you know, there was none of the hallway conversations or opportunistic engagement with staff or other managers in the organization. And so a, a much more of a focus on 
planned check-ins and making lots of effort to maintain relationships and to hold trust because when you don't see people face-to-face and have those personal informal conversations you're kind of not you're not building those the trust and the relationship that's so important for us so yeah differences internally and externally from a leadership perspective I think. Thank you for sharing that it's incredible to hear about that focus and that collaboration like how how inspiring and I'm I'm also mindful I guess that whilst whilst homeless people were put first and their needs were put first that of course created an enormous amount of work because you hadn't necessarily ever been in that position before. That's right it did create a lot of work and we had to be really agile we really did have to be agile and change the way we did things we had to stop doing some services to prioritize other services like people in hotels and I think during that first uh, those first couple of lockdowns in 2020 we accommodated over 2,000 people in hotels so it was enormous. That is it's a lot of change from you know maybe desperately trying to find somewhere to all of a sudden having somewhere as well. Yeah and it made such a significant difference for people that you know we had reports from from clients saying oh I finally feel like I can breathe or I can, you know, focus on some other things because I know where I'm going to sleep tonight. And so, yeah, whilst the world around them was in a panic and, you know, full of anxiety around COVID, it actually had quite an opposite effect for lots of the people that we work with because they finally had a bit of safety and security. And something that I think so many of us just take for granted as well. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Tanya, so within your work, you you oversee 200 staff and 30 programs across Melbourne. What have you done to help the mindset and resilience and mental health of your own team as they've navigated COVID? Yeah, well, as an organisation, we, I think, have done some really proactive things. So we already provide staff with five days of wellbeing leave in addition to the kind of normal annual leave. And that's in recognition of the type of work that we do it is really hard and it can be um, you know really wear you out and so in 2020 and again in 2021 we provided an additional three days well-being leave we also provided an additional two weeks pandemic leave and that was just more in this year and that was really to support people who had used all their sick leave or their annual leave and they needed additional leave for things like needing to quarantine so lots of our staff were exposed to COVID through their work so we needed to find a way that they could still be paid when they needed to quarantine so that was an additional couple of weeks and we did lots of things over the course of the 18 months things like I arranged for my managers who are all working women with children who had children at home with them I arranged things like home cooked healthy meals family meals so that they didn't have to think about shopping or what to cook or how to feed their children and you know did that on a Friday so that they had meals for the weekend but the organization did things like vouchers for food deliveries or providing we provided a a vaccine voucher which was $200 to spend on whatever people wanted to spend it on so lots of things that focused on um, people looking after themselves. Oh, one of the other things we did was a readings book voucher for all staff as well during the lockdown that, you know, we didn't have much else to do. So readings was 
a good opportunity to sit and read a book you've you know been thinking about for a while but I think also what what helped we I, I sort of found people were looking for rules they wanted decisions and rules. They were feeling really anxious and there was lots of uncertainty around them. So they're kind of looking to leaders for really hard decisions and focus on what can I do and what can't I do. So I think doing that meant people felt less anxious and perhaps that helped their resilience and mental health as well. Yeah, that, that makes sense, right? Because when there's uncertainty, it's really easy for things to feel out of control. And so some of those rules, um, whether people liked them or not, it still would have given people that sense sense of certainty that they might not have necessarily felt like they could create themselves. Yeah, and it, and it was a really uncertain time because they weren't sure. Because our work continued, we were an essential service. So work continued but we had to adapt things to do it in a COVID safe way and some services did things one way and others did it another way and we we couldn't have blanket rules it had to be nuanced but I think providing that reassurance around the rules helped people just know what their week looked like because managing your family life was so difficult and so I think people needed much more certainty at work and what that would look like. Yeah, and lots of lots of our workforce are females. We have a much higher proportion of females and so often that comes with lots of family responsibilities as well. So we were really conscious of people having children at home, for example, and needing to adapt their work in order to, you know, focus on homeschooling, for example. <laughs> yeah, and to be able to give people permission to do that. I, I remember one of our meetings when uh, we were catching up about the leadership program that we're running with some of your leaders and at that time you, you were homeschooling as well and I, I think you'd said that two different teachers and two different classes had decided to make slime on the same day at different times during the day so <laughs> you were kind of in the middle of a slime cleanup as we were having our meeting which became you know normal right for 2021. And you know bless the teachers they think they're doing a great thing by entertaining the children but yeah slime in in the kitchen everywhere was not fun. Tanya you've been doing this work in you know leadership positions in this sector for many years now you know well over a decade and I'd imagine for you and your team the work never really feels like it's done and that Mm. that calls for a huge amount of energy and resilience as well. What are some of your non-negotiables when it comes to maintaining and building your own mental health and mindset? Well, firstly, I don't think I always do maintain it. And certainly in 2020, I really had to have a a reset. But one of the things I did, because working from home, you know, I'm lucky enough to have an office space where I work from. I'm not at a kitchen table or a lounge room or a bedroom like lots of people were in our workforce. I've got an office and a workspace that's dedicated. So what used to be a spare room has now become a workspace. But I visualise this line on the floor and once I step over that line, I am really try to be disciplined about that was work and now I'm entering home life. So I, I'm not kind of blurring the lines, but that took a while for me to get there, I have to say, in 2020 and I'm much better at it this year. I'm really disciplined around finish time because that's the time when the kids need me. So, but 
I, I do try and be really disciplined about that, but I'll do early mornings, but not nights. So, you know, it's one or the other for me and I'm a morning person, so I can do that, but I just really very, very rarely will work at night. It's not good for me because sleep is the other thing for me. I go to bed early. I really prioritise sleep and if I've worked at night, it doesn't come. So I know that's not right for me. I have to say what, what helps me to maintaining that kind of healthy mindset is just to go and visit a frontline service. I go to one of our youth foyers, for example, and it, it reminds you why you're here and why you do the work. And it, it's really uplifting for me to be face-to-face -face with staff and the people that we work with or provide services for. Thank you for sharing that. I, I love that visualisation of the line. It's really clever and really smart. And of course, it's, it's a made-up thing, right? But with practice, it really is, it's tricking your brain to, supporting your brain to kick into a different gear. Yeah. And when I've had to come back in here sometimes at night, if I'm doing a bit of life admin or something, like it's, it's become so visual in my mind that I, I literally am almost stepping over it. It's quite bizarre. So I think it's worked for me. Yeah, that, that's incredible. I'm going to get imagining some lines around my house too. <laughs> Anything to support, you know, boundary setting. And, and with the you know, thousands of people we've worked with in the last couple of years, one of the most common struggles that people have had is that lack of boundaries between home and work. So anything that can really support with that, I think is, is really important. More so now than ever. What, what led you to be thinking about visualisation as a tool to support with the way that you um, navigate and manage your mental health and mindset? I felt like I was finishing the workday but not really finishing the workday and I'd be having conversations with the kids or cooking dinner and my mind was still on work and I wasn't really listening and I'd have to keep saying, oh, what did you say? Or, sorry, I missed that. And the kids were really picking up on it. They could tell I was really distracted. So I wasn't doing either thing much justice. But, yeah, I think it was really I, I sensed myself not being there for the kids and that, that impacts my mental health because they're always the priority over work. Yeah, so I think it was really that that led me to make some changes about managing managing the time I spent at the computer. Yeah, and it seems like it's probably those, the strong emotions that you're experiencing there, it's great you're able to recognise them and then say something needs to change here. Like this is, this is a little red flag and something needs to change. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I think if you asked my boss, our CEO, he would probably have some insights into seeing some of those red flags. And I think, yeah, he probably helped point them out <laughs> to me, even though my gut was telling me it wasn't right. But I, I, I wasn't at the point of, need, of being able to, to really articulate it or take action. So I think that's something else, you know, trusting your intuition. If something's just not feeling quite right, just to stop and reflect and explore it. And I'm noticing that with the people who report to me now, I can see that, you know, for a couple of them, things are not quite right. And I, it's just my gut telling me it's not anything else. So it's it's time for me to really check in in a, yeah, in a bit more of a 
thoughtful way with them, I think. Yeah, and create that that space long enough. We love to say at top five, that slowing down to go faster. So creating that space that is long enough for them to maybe open up as well. As a leader, Tanya, what a couple of things do you think it's really helpful, encouraging and productive for people to remember right now, for your team in particular to remember right now? Oh, I think exactly as you just said, Claire, slowing down, slowing things down or pausing things. People are really tired and resilience is low. Enabling people to reprioritise or slow things down or stop things altogether. And, you know, COVID changed so much about the way in which we work and the way we work with clients, that slowdown allows you to think, well, what worked really well and what should we keep instead of just reverting now that we're all open again and the expectation is it's back to business as usual? Well, how do we adapt business as usual to keep hold of some of the real positives that we gained? None of us ever want to be on Zoom 10 hours a day like we were (laughs) through COVID, but You know, there were lots of things that I think were gained in the way in which we work with clients and the way in which we engage with, say, children who access our services or young people in our foyers. You know, our youth development workers got really creative about the way they work with young people. So, yeah, I think it's really about allowing people to have a slowdown and not putting pressure on, like we're not putting pressure on around, you You have to return to work now, you have to return to the office. It, it'll be a slow transition for us because I know myself, that's what I need. I need that. I'm so used to working at home now. So I think no one needs the extra pressure right now. So just being conscious of that. I love that approach that you're taking around that taking time and I I remember I flashed back to the earlier kind of bookend I guess to the start of the pandemic where it felt like for April 2020 almost people were like the dust was settling and had been thrown up in the air and people were like hang on we can only do the essentials as we work out what this means you know as we transition to online and doing this and I feel like there's another there's another chapter of that coming as people need more energy to get back to a version of what life looks like and I was chatting with someone this morning about that we're not commute fit like all of those things like getting dressed getting out of the house remembering how we do things it sounds silly like and to laugh about it but that all takes energy for us to and that conscious thought to reorganize and remember remember how we do things so I feel like there's a another version of that coming soon I'm certainly not commute fit. I I travelled to Collingwood to our office, you know, a couple of times last week and this week and it really makes a difference to your day. So, yeah, and I was talking to another colleague in the office the other day and, you know, I could tell she was a bit down and I said, are you you doing okay? And she said, you know, the work we do is really, really hard. We expect it to be hard. The people we work with are really vulnerable and often have, you know, a significant history of trauma or childhood trauma and they have really chaotic lives. So the work is hard, but she said it shouldn't feel heavy and she was feeling like the work was really heavy. And so for me, that's that's a trigger that, you know, okay, time to check in on yourself, notice it if you're noticing it in your colleagues or, you know, take, some, take a break, take some leave. 
do what you need to do because it shouldn't feel heavy because that's when it becomes a burden and that's when burnout happens. So I think, you know, even things like allowing people to continue to work from home means that commute can make such a difference to someone's day. So, yeah, I think we just need to all be a bit flexible and also individualise it. It's not the same rules for everyone. Like we can't have the same rules for everyone. We, we need to be flexible. Tanya, something that you said there was around you and your team noticing and expecting things to be hard but also noticing that when things feel heavy that something might be amiss. And what I find really fascinating and it's, you know, it's a hats off to you and your team and anyone doing this work is how can it not feel heavy like when you are leaning into such hard work, like what's the secret to be able to do that hard work and work with causes and, and social issues and opportunities that are um, so desperate for change? How do you maintain, I guess, that balance? Or how do you even learn to go into it knowing that it's going to be hard but protect yourself, I guess, from it feeling heavy? I think it's about support and how we support each other and you know, we have a team of middle managers in our organisation who are, you know, majority of them are just brilliant people who are really values aligned and so passionate about the work. But the support they give to each other is really critical and how when someone's, you know, got something going on that is making their workload higher or they've got something going on at home which means they can't attend work or they're sick or their kids are sick or whatever it might be that there just seems to be this really collaborative approach that helps so I think that's that's really critical and I I always feel that at launch that if if something's happening for me I know that there's support in the organization and I don't always have to ask for it it's usually that someone will notice a shift. And so I think we all should take responsibility for noticing in our colleagues and then, you know, providing the support. And I think there's a lot of people at launch who are really good at that and it helps. Yeah, and I guess it, it sounds like it's validating for people. You know, it's saying to them it makes sense that you this feels heavy or frustrated and making them feel seen in in how they're feeling and also feeling supported in other ways too you know, knowing and expecting the work to be hard, which we all do, we, we, we acknowledge that. And I think that's important. It will, it is going to be hard. It will be hard. And knowing that it's okay not to be okay. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think because the work's hard and we acknowledge it's hard, putting your hand up and saying you're not okay is, is okay and people should feel confident to do that and that they're not going to be judged for that or you know the the stigma even around managing your mental health we're not quite there yet with man with getting that right um and so i think encouraging people and, and creating an organizational culture where people feel okay to put up their hand and say you know what i'm not okay at the moment and what do we do as an organisation to respond to that, particularly in the work that we do where people's psychological safety is as important as their physical safety? Yeah, it sounds like it's uh, acknowledging that you've got a bunch of humans supporting other humans that are, you know, sometimes with really high needs and complicated needs, as you've said, yeah. and that it is almost acknowledging that it's as humans we're all going to take 
turns in when we are and aren't okay and and when we need more support or when we're able to give more support as well, which I think is a really important thing for us all to remember. It is. And we also engage external psychologists to do debriefing with people, particularly lots of teams have it on a regular monthly basis and that's helpful for them. But other people just have it in response to a really difficult time with a particular client or a critical incident or something that's gone not so well. So I think that helps people reconcile things and protect their own psychological safety. And vicarious trauma is a really, it's a real thing for the people who do the work. So, you know, making sure we're doing enough as an organisation to protect people in that regard is really important. I love that you've explained that there's that support is there in a responsive way when people need it after an incident, but it's also role modelled in a way that is used proactively as well as a, this is something that I do on a regular basis is speak to a professional, have that space coming up as well. We we know as well, it can be really powerful and we can see, see so much support created and so many emotions being processed when in, with outlets like that, which is incredible. Tanya, if you could take one thing from the pandemic, one learning or one technique or one tool that you've seen that's worked well for yourself or with your team forward, what would that be? Well, for me, because my staff and programs are spread across 14 offices in Metro Melbourne, it was always really hard to drop into team meetings and say hello to people and, you know, really get a an insight into what's happening in the day-to-day lives of people. So one of the things that I've really valued that I never got to do as much as I'd like to in the past is just dropping into a video team meeting. And, you know, it's it's still on video. It's not face-to-face. It's probably not ideal. But in, in any other time, I wouldn't have had the time to do that, to travel and to to make time to do that on such a regular basis. So I've really enjoyed being able to drop into video team meetings and see people on the screen, have a chat. They can give feedback about what's important to them or they can, you know, talk about the services or what's happening in their service and, yeah, insightful both ways that they get a bit out of me on what's happening broadly in the organisation and I get so much out of the conversations that keep it real about what we do day to day with the work on the front line. Thank you for sharing that. Such a practical final tip amongst many, many tips. Tanya Armstrong, thank you so much for joining us. It's such a joy working with you and learning from you and and having the opportunity to work with your leaders and, of course, introduce you to our listeners today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Claire. Thanks for having me. Tanya Armstrong, what an incredible human and leader. One of the things that I most love about these conversations that we get to have on the podcast is that they they really show how human people are and they give us these really personal insights into the things that work for them. There just aren't many of these conversations and opportunities to have these conversations in amongst the daily grind, especially when you're in roles where the, the list is never ending you know, and there's, there's work to be done and, and clients in need or services in need. At Top 5, we love to support leaders and teams with techniques that we call circuit breakers and circuit makers. These are things that create new connections in our brain uh, or try and break and interrupt some of those automatic thoughts and connections in our brain that we can go to 
especially on the shaky days. Now, a lot of our guests have shared circuit breakers and circuit makers, and, and Tanya has also today. For example, a circuit maker uh, that Tanya has shared that we would call a circuit maker is her tip around that visualization of the line on the floor when she goes in and out of her office. For her, that is a really visual cue, even though it's an, an imaginary visual cue, but it's a really strong cue and circuit that she's actually made to support her brain and her, every cell in her body to know that when she steps over that, the story that she tells herself now is the work day's over and that work is finished. I'm out of my work zone now. It might sound a bit woo, but it's actually really practical and can be a really great signal to our brain and just become another habit that we get into, not just a stepping out of the office, but a thinking habit as well as a physical habit. The other types of technique that we share are circuit breakers. And so these are the techniques that we use to actually try and break some of those automatic thought patterns and break us out of unhelpful thought patterns and and thinking patterns. And a great example that Tanya shared today was around taking those opportunities to get out into the front line and interrupt the daily grind and get back in, but get things back into perspective and to refuel the way that, that she does her work. Now, as the leaders are sharing their tips on our podcast, and Tanya was the same today, is that they're happy to share their tips and what works for them, but also they recognize that it's really different for everybody. And some leaders are really terrific in understanding and recognizing and supporting their teams. But often when we're speaking with leaders who are wanting to support their teams to reset, recharge and refuel, and I mean, show me a team that doesn't after the last couple of years, but sometimes these leaders don't know how to individually support those team members and to get their buy-in to make changes, whatever they are for them individually. And in a year year or two where leaders have been holding so much more mentally, a whole lot of extra mental energy and information about their team members at part, as parts of life and work have overlapped in all sorts of ways, it's natural that they're looking for extra support. Many leaders try general wellbeing support and they've perhaps maybe had their EAP provider or someone present some general wellness ideas for teams, which is a really terrific start. And one of the number one questions we get asked at Top 5 is, what's the difference between your programs and our general wellbeing services that we, we can already access? And I'll tell you, because while we really love seeing that increase in organisations investing in those general wellbeing services, what we offer is not wellness programs. We develop and deliver change mindset, communication, problem solving, resilience and performance building programs that just happen to also have some strong wellness outcomes as a bonus. Because in our experience, the team members who feel the most stretched or are most in need of support, will never feel like they have the time and energy to proactively seek out general wellbeing services. They need to know what's going to work for them and, you know, as quickly as they can. So all of those worksheets around general wellbeing on your intranet somewhere probably aren't going to shift anything for these people that are already feeling really stretched, even if the information there and resources there are incredible. In my view, to really support teams to recharge, refuel and reset, they need five things. They need practical mindset tools that are transferable across their workday and their life. 
not well-being tools, but mindset and state tools. I need to be able to notice and have tools and support to notice some of those automatic thought loops that they can get away from them and have tools to rewrite their brain in a snap. They need to be able to fuel themselves and each other with helpful, encouraging and productive thoughts to be able to recognize and let go of things outside of their control and to learn how to switch off or switch to recharge in our fast-paced 24-7 spiraling inbox world. At Top 5, we do that by, by bringing live and tailored team experiences. They're not pre-recorded and they can include the most relevant up-to-date work and life examples for your teams. They combine both well-being and performance outcomes and we create psychologically safe spaces for people to process what's happening for them in a growth-focused way. Lastly, we increase buy-in for people to actually want to proactively work on their well-being in the first place. With Tanya's support, we're currently working with 40 leaders from Launch Housing on a program that does this. And like Tanya, these are some of the most incredible humans and leaders in our country, and they're so, so human. And sure, maybe some general well-being tips might be helpful for them. And they might make a difference. But like so many of us, the things that actually use their energy aren't necessarily health things, but their worries about things like imposter syndrome or how to build the courage to give supportive feedback to their teams or how to switch off when the work feels like it's never done and how to reset on the fly so that they can bring more to their roles and strengthen their leadership. This is the stuff that would really make a difference for them. So we don't share anything that's fluffy and they don't have time for that either. So what we do is share really practical stuff. In fact, this group of leaders have said that there's a 99% chance they'll be able to use what we cover day to day at work. We know these leaders are far more likely to change their behavior because they're also not on their own. And our programs create that psychologically safe space, as I mentioned, and also sustainable behavior change where we can take groups of individuals to feeling like they're one team again, which is so important after all that disconnection we've been experiencing. Some wellness tips they could just search themselves on Google are not going to create that level of change. As a leader, when you engage in our program, you're giving your team permission to slow down, slow down long enough to focus on not just what they deliver, but how they show up. Because It's been a really tough couple of years and when you look back on this time and how you supported your team to navigate and come out of all the uncertainty, wouldn't it be amazing to be able to say, I didn't just hold my team in a way that they coped, but I was able to give them the tools, the strengths and the skills to be able to future-proof themselves. Which really brings me back to Tanya and her generous leadership to see that this type of work really matters. It really matters to leaders. And of course, that has an incredible flow on impact to the people experiencing um, the trauma or lived experience of homelessness. Brings me back to Tanya and her generous leadership of that team at launch. And it brings me back to Tanya being willing to step out of her comfort zone today and take us behind the scenes to share some some really private and powerful ways that she fuels her own mindset, resilience, and mental health. 
Tanya Armstrong, thank you as always for your time and wisdom. The world is undoubtedly a better place because of you. Thank you so much for listening. We've loved having you here. As we wrap, I want to say a big thank you to all of the generous leaders and their teams out there making a difference in our world. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation from the country where this podcast is produced. And of course, I want to say thank you to you, our listeners. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. And if you're ready to start building your team's resilience or to help them reset, refuel and recharge, head on over to top5movement.com and see what we have to offer. Wishing you the strongest mental health, mindset and resilience as you head into the rest of your day. Have a cracking day.